We have a special offer for our Munch Bunch listeners. To book a virtual consult with Megan, she's offering a discount of $25 off. Just email her, Megan, at nwmyofunctionaltherapy.com or through her website, www.orofacial-myology.com. To book a virtual consult with Kimmy for the $25 off, email her, mouthmusclememory at outlook.com or through the website, www.mouthmusclememory.com. Now on to the episode. Hello and welcome to the Munch Bunch podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Megan Van Noy, myofunctional therapist at Northwest Myofunctional Therapy. And we've got Kimmy Nishimoto, my friend and podcast co-host, favorite person in the whole world <laughs> um, at Mouth Muscle Memory for her practice. And today I'm very, very excited. Um, we have Jenny June joining us. Jenny is a sleep consultant at IBCLC a baby whisperer, a mommy whisperer. Um, and uh, Jenny is going to just chat with us today about sleep, um, kind of for through the full gamut, babies, uh, her big kids sleep programs, kind of ages two to five and beyond. And then she's also been working with adults, which is really cool. Um, and full disclosure, you guys, uh, you guys all know who Isabella is at this point, hopefully. And if not, you know, that's my baby. Um, <laughs> and uh, we are currently working with Jenny um, to help with Isabella's sleep and to help us through the process. So I've gotten to do a deep dive with her um, and she's, you know, spilled all of her secrets to me and we're going to do our best to get Izzy. And honestly, it's me. It's not even Izzy, you guys. It's totally me. Uh, <laughs> on board and sleeping really, really good at night. So I'm going to document that journey. Uh, we're starting on Monday because we had a double ear infection this week. So we pushed back a week here. And, uh, <laughs> I know, poor baby. But uh, yeah, so we'll, you guys will learn even more from, you know, Izzy's journey and from our journey from a parent perspective. But uh and Jenny, you have been on a lot of different programs. I feel like I would miss some <laughs> if I tried to say all the different places you've uh, appeared and you know groups that you've worked with. So we'd love to hear from you. Give us a little bit of background on how you got started, how you got into it, some of the groups you've been working with, and uh, we'll dive in. Yeah, thank you. So uh, you know, I've been doing this. I'm going on my 11th year now um, as a certified. Uh, sleep consultant and lactation counselor and, and uh, you know, in mainly pediatrics, but it's definitely evolved into adult sleep and working with adult insomniacs. And, uh, you know, the only thing that's really outside of my scope of practice is the structural functional issues with sleep, which you guys uh, specialize in. And, and so I, I end up, uh, you know, I see a lot of it, not just with children, but adults too. And I end up referring out to specialists like yourself, which is life-changing for my clients. Um, and uh, we're really able to approach sleep on, on in every modality, you know, just really making sure the structural, the functional, and the behavioral is tightly in place, um, you know, so that they can really experience the benefits of, you know, proper breathing and well sleep and, and you know, the huge amount of health benefits that come from that. Um, but yeah, I've worked, you know, I'm a, I've been a longtime member of the National Sleep Foundation. I'm a faculty member and collaborative provider for the Brave Institute in Los Angeles. And um, oh gosh, I've, you know, I've worked with a lot of celebrities, some I can't mention, but uh, <laughs> I think one of my first, you know, gigs was on uh, Juliana and Bill Rancic's 
a reality show back in 2013, I think it was, uh, baby, you know, sleep training baby Duke when he was six months old. And, uh, you know, I've, uh, oh gosh, the doctor's TV show, I'm the child sleep expert for, for them. And um, gosh, a, a variety of podcasts, I can't even remember all of them, but, um, you know, it's been, a, it's been a fun journey. And I think my favorite thing was when I went on uh, my family sleep event tour across six states and 16 cities, I think it was in 2014, uh, really introducing and pioneering, kind of getting the, the you know, uh, parents and families aware of what sleep hygiene was. And so I really kind of just pioneered that whole understanding of what it was and how important it is to well sleep for children, whether you're using it alone to make sure that they've got a strong foundation of circadian rhythm science under their, you know, un under their feet to, you know, to sleep well and evolve these care routines and parenting responses and such to meet and match these new evolving developing needs for sleep as, as they get older. Um, but also it's, it's an, uh, it's an essential part of any sleep training program. And, uh, you know, most, most sleep training is, you know, primarily focused on behavioral methods and that's important. Um, you know, we definitely need to look at how to change the routine within a neuro habit where they're learning new associations with how to relax and fall asleep and connect back to sleep. But none of the, none of the methods will work out there. If they do, it'll be very short-lived and met with a ton of unnecessary, you know, protest and temporary struggle. If it's not bolstered on a foundation of the four pillars of sleep hygiene, which is my trademark work. Um, so if you wanted to learn more about that, you could just even go on Instagram or Facebook and hashtag the number four and then pillars of sleep hygiene. Well, no. Oh, and I guess I should mention my street cred. Um, I'm oh, a yeah. mom of four, sorry. <laughs> the most important yeah. part. Yeah, I'm a, yeah, I've got four children. They're all in their twenties now. We've all survived, made it on the other side, but yeah, I had four kids within six years and I was a single mom a lot of those years. And uh, so I, you know, I, was, I homeschooled them all away and, um, you know, and was a working mom at the same time. So, you know, uh, I've got some street cred. I can really get down in, in the trenches with, you know, parents who are struggling with a lot of different, you know, challenges out there that come with raising children, not just, uh, you know, the, the basics, but I, I'll get down and dirty with them. So mm -hmm. <laughs> I can really meet them where they're at. Yeah. So Jenny, cool. you you have me all titillated. Like, what is the four pillars? I need to know. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the four pillars um, are essentially, uh, you know, syncing sleep with natural biological rhythms and integrating evidence-based nuggets of solid sleep science into a child or an adult's, you know, care routines throughout the day that support sleep, support hormones. Sleep is 100% about the brain and hormones. It has nothing to do with, you know, how much food is in the stomach or any of those you know, old myths, myths and things that uh, we used to, we used to believe, you know, weight and all of that. Um, but the four pillars are the sleep environment is the first pillar, uh, making sure that the environment is conducive to uh, kickstarting and optimizing melatonin levels, those powerful sleep hormones, making sure that we have an abundant amount at sleep onset um, and throughout the night uh, so that we can reduce the fragmentation of sleep. Within 48 hours of sleeping fragmented, uh, we can go into a chronic state of stress from the sleep deprivation it, you know, it, it causes. And, you know, and then we have a myriad of issues that you know, come, come into play then. The second pillar of sleep hygiene is the sleep cues. Um, this one is, you know, shockingly, you'd think a lot of people would know what those are, but believe it or not, it's, it's, it's often opposite of what parents think those things are with their kids and, you know, very different than what we're hearing out there on the internet. Um, we need to know what it looks like when melatonin is putting maximum pressure on the brain and body, what that feels like for your child and help them learn to, you know, start recognizing that feeling 
and cueing, just like we help we help them learn, you know, with time and testing, you know, to uh, recognize when they're hungry, hungry, hunger cues. Um, you know, there's different cues that the body gives us, and to really understand what those look like, how much time we have in order to, you know, recognize those and what we need to do to anticipate them in advance, so that when we see them, we're, you know, we're not wasting any time. We're we're able to put them in their bed or their crib or, or put ourselves to bed in that uh, in that sweet spot, that window where you know the brain and body are flooded with those powerful hormones and want to do the sleeping. And the only thing left to fight it after that is a child's will or old habits and just that temporary struggle that comes with change as we get on the other side of that, um, you know, just kind of evolvement of our care routines. Uh, the third pillar and the fourth pillar is how we set those cues up for success in advance, how we anticipate those. And the third pillar is the pre-sleep routines. Fourth pillar is the timing of sleep. Pre-sleep routines are powerful tools if they're performed correctly. Uh, they serve two important functions. They help to kickstart melatonin and they signal to the brain and body that sleep is about to come, which is the essence of routine and what helps provide a foundation of emotional well-being for a child as or an adult as you know they're learning to do something new and get out of old uh, you know habits and things and, and adjust to new ones. Uh, the fourth pillar is the timing of sleep, and that's probably one of the biggest takeaways that parents get from the entire consultation or um, adults for themselves, um, understanding how biological rhythms work, how circadian rhythms work, and um, being able to uh, make sure we're, all the conditions are right and we're timing, we're, we're allowing our body to, you know, we're allowing ourselves to obey our body's hormonal cues when it's happening. And a lot of parents and people out there think we can change those biological rhythms, that we can manipulate time and it's not something we can do. So we have to really be aware of how all that works and have a good schedule in place that, um, you know, helps helps parents or, or adults uh, optimize the timing of sleep. Because if timing is off, um, then it, you know everything's gonna fall apart. And a lot of people think that how many hours of sleep uh, we're getting is the most important thing to focus on. It's not. Actually, uh, timing is, is far more important because, and if the timing is right, those hours we need are naturally gonna be there and beautifully. And to wrap our mind around that logic, it's helpful to look at jet lag syndrome or shift worker syndrome. Mm -hmm. Obviously kind of see it within mm -hmm. that perspective. Yeah, and I like, I'll tell you guys. So actually pillar two, the sleep cues is really what got me when Jenny and I were diving in for Isabel and um, you know, every baby's different. So I'm not even gonna like speak to like the specific parts and that's where Jenny can come in and help you guys. But even just like, the times where I thought Izzy was tired and she was like, no, that's actually when she's overtired. Have you noticed when she does this or that? And I'm like, oh, that's, <laughs> and so, you know, first babies, their first pancakes, they're your experiments, right? Um, that's right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was really, really, that was like, I think I like in my notes, I started, I think I picked up like a different color of pen and like, no, look for these things because that's not, you know, that's not what I see through my Instagram feeds. That's not what I do through my scrolls. That's not what like my friends and I talk about necessarily. So for me, even more so when we were talking about those and diving in deeper, those sleep cues was something I was like, oh, that is not what I was <laughs> thinking. So I'm so glad to have learned, you know, that as well. Oh, so Meg, for you, Isabel, yeah. Um, yeah. what were the sleep cues um, you know, she, she was really rubbing her eyes a lot, which I'm like, oh, that means she's tired, but that means she's overtired, 
you know, mm -hmm. that means we're past that point. Um, you know, some of the ear tugging and those things, you know, and that's kind of what I even was told, like from the pediatrician as I, you know, as I was going in, um, of like, oh, that's how you know that she's tired or other moms or, you know, even like grandmas being like, oh yeah, like, oh, yep, she's definitely tired. And, you know, for her, that actually means that she's overtired. And I'm like, oh, right. Oops. <laughs> yeah. They, and if we push them past their body's hormonal cues, telling them it's time for sleep, even by a little bit, even by 15 minutes, the body and brain, it notices that we're not obeying those hormonal cues. And it's like, what's going on here? Do we need to hunt longer, fight, flee for our lives? All right. We're going to help you out with some hormones to do that. So it ushers in uh, a big burst of cortisol, which is a wakefulness mm. hormone that's designed to keep us awake and productive and focused throughout the day until it's time for sleep again, or to do those functions that help us survive and, you know, uh, you know, and, and if you function in an emergency situation, and it's accompanied by adrenaline, a stress hormone that heightens our senses. Uh, we're extra sensitive to light and sound. So when we hear, you know, I hear a lot of parents talk about sensory issues and all of that, that's often, if you dive deep enough, you'll see some sleep deprivation going on. And when that happens, when we're sleep deprived, it can be chronic. Mm -hmm. It can put us into chronic states of stress. And then we're operating off of adrenaline for our energy for the 24 hour day. And we see sensory issues and all kinds of, you know, just kind of cognitive, you know, issues, uh, inflexibility with that, not just with the children, but with the parents too, who are sleep deprived. Yeah. And this is a vicious cycle, but yeah, those sleep cues are important. We've got a brief amount of time to follow those and, and anticipate them in advance is really key. Yeah. Um, the other thing with the timing too, you know, it's, it is counterintuitive because, you know, putting, putting babies to bed earlier than we think is like, okay, now they're going to wake up even earlier than we, than we want them to. And, um, you know, and again, it's one of those things, I think you, the outside influences, like a lot of times we learn our parenting from our parents or from our siblings and our nieces and our nephews or our friend group. And it's like, oh, well, we always put our baby to bed at this time and it works for them. Um, you know, you almost forget that every baby is, is different in a lot of ways, but also that same biological clock. So, um, like I said, we haven't, we've kind of started practicing, uh, but we haven't gone full in yet. That's Monday for us. Um, and yeah. so we'll, we'll learn even more then. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I'm excited for you guys. It's going to be, yeah. it's going to be a, a fun, a fun journey. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm I mean, it's, you know, it's hard at first because sometimes mm -hmm. things have to look a little worse before they can get better, but that's the, uh, that's the, how we get at the root of change. And why most people stay stuck in poor habits because there's that temporary struggle process that comes with change. And, you know, it, it, that's why my diets always fail, you know? Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, we're, yeah I'm that. excited to get you going with that. Yeah, and the timing yeah. is very important. And it is important. I like what you said, Megan, you, you know, you mentioned that, uh, you know, yes, every baby's different. Um, I've been doing this for almost 11 years, thousands of cases. No two babies or children are exactly the same. No two par parental dynamics are exactly the same. There are um, aspects that are very unique. However, um, you know, biological rhythms, circadian rhythms, and how all of that works at sleep science is, is the same. And uh, just that, you know, some we see, and we we're tempted to compare ourselves to our mm -hmm. sister or our neighbor who keeps their kid up till 10 o'clock at night and, you know, all of that. But, you know, the issue is, is that sleep deprivation has a tolerance level, just like alcohol tolerance. Some people can handle it a little better than others. Um, temperament plays a big role in that. And, um, you know, sometimes, you know, we don't understand that just because we can train our child to, you know, 
go to bed at 10 o'clock doesn't mean we should. And when we are pushing ourselves or our children past that sweet spot when melatonin is abundant at sleep onset and they're catching that cortisol and adrenaline burst and yep, we can, we can do all the work to get them down to sleep or help them connect back to sleep, but they're gonna be waking up sleep deprived uh, because there, there isn't enough melatonin at sleep onset. We've, mm. We kind of miss that window, it's left the building. And then the sleep cycles then are, um, you know, are compromised. We're not getting whole healthy sleep cycles containing slow wave sleep, which is that sleep crack, that delicious restorative, you know, health benefit of sleep cycles. Um, you know, it becomes, de it's depleted. And now, you know, they're waking up right out of the gate sleep deprived. Um, you know, if we, if we miss that timing. So, yeah. <clears throat> so Jenny, can you give us like a really basic overview of like, what is circadian rhythm and what are the natural sleep cycles? Oh yeah. We to look at a graph, like light, deep, REM and percentages of like ideal. Yeah. That's different depending on the age and, and, you know, mm. what we're talking about, but um, the stage one sleep, I'll give you an example. I think the two biggest takeaways and the easiest things for parents to remember, um, you know, is really just stage one. This is where a lot of parents, uh, you know, they are shocked to find out that um, this is a very light active behavioral stage of each and every sleep cycle. For little ones, uh, I would say under three and a half, it's about 50 minutes long. Um, at about three and a half years old, uh, or I'm sorry, the sleep stage one is about one to seven minutes long uh, for a child under three and a half whose sleep cycles are about 50 minutes in duration total. Um, as they, uh, you know, as when they turn about three and a half, three years and three months, three years and six months, right about it then is when sleep cycles evolve to 90 minutes like yours and mine. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, simply because they're, they're able to withstand some prolonged wakefulness because the, they produce a little more cortisol and those 90 minute cycles, you know, once we get to that point, then the nap starts to naturally drop off. And then we need, you know, that nap again, you know, when we're 50, you know, so, um, right here. 25. Um, right, right. Uh, but um, stage one is a very light active behavioral stage of each sleep cycle. We're moving around a lot talking, mumbling in our sleep. Babies will cry or scream out during that time, but they have no idea they're doing it. Just like we don't know we're doing it in each of our sleep cycles. Um, simultaneously, those eyes are opening up. And if the optic nerve catches the slightest bit of light or glow coming from the edges of blackout drapes, or you know, there's some noise going on outside the bedroom window or bedroom door, it can arouse a child all the way awake fragmenting their sleep or an adult for that matter. Mm -hmm. So that's one, one component of the sleep cycle. I, I make sure that parents are really understand. So I'm not overwhelming them with, with too much of, you know, all the, the different stages of, you know, and REMS and all the things, cause that can be overwhelming to a sleep deprived parent, but, or an adult. Mm -hmm. um, the other stage of sleep that's really important to understand is staged uh, stage three, slow wave, so, or delta sleep. Sometimes, you know, we've had a couple of differences in, in uh, what we used to classify in the different stages. And that's where also there's a lot of confusion because back in the day, it used to be, they call it four stages and then it went to three and then there's like five. And it's really all the, you know, essentials that you need to know is stage one. And then there's that sort of, you know, REM sleep in stage two and then deep, slow wave. And then sometimes we can go back into REM. Again, it depends on the age. And then we go, and then we start a new sleep cycle, stage one. But slow wave, this is the one that, you know, that's what I hyper-focus on is, mm -hmm. you know, especially when we're trying to improve sleep health, um, independent sleep skills. 
Um, it's what it's the that deep, delicious, yummy sleep crack that parents pay me to get for themselves when they want to sleep train. Mm-hmm. You know, because their yeah, sleep is fragmented all night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> if you're not getting it, it doesn't matter how many hours of sleep you're getting or your child's getting, you're waking up sleep deprived. And yeah. that puts mm-hmm. the digestive system in a, you know, in a state of stress. And we start seeing eating issues with, you know, little ones, light snacky feeds at the breast all day, just, you know, poor digestion, GERD reflux, you know, just all the, you know, irritable bowel syndrome, um, start really messes with the gut, um, the microbiome system, the ability to produce good and healthy bacteria in and on the gut and absorb the nutrients from our foods, our, our entire, our, at a cellular level is dependent upon slow wave sleep. It's it, they're completely connected. So crazy. And so, mm-hmm. uh, and here's an interesting fact that I hope helps parents feel really, you know, confident or comfortable <laughs> with or relieved, I should say, is that in, when we are experiencing whole healthy sleep cycles containing slow wave, it's impossible for us to feel hunger or pain, including teething pain. So it's a big myth out there that some babies don't sleep because they're teething. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, and when they're able, when, when, Nighttime circadian rhythms come into full maturity at 16 weeks. Daytime is about 18 to 20 weeks. Um, you know, that's when, you know, we can start the process of consolidating sleep at night and allowing the natural consolidation of calories to start taking place to, during the day. And the slow wave sleep ensures that we don't feel hunger when we're sleeping um, so that we can, our brain can focus on doing what it needs to do instead of focusing on digesting a big meal that's in the stomach. And those old wives tales used to tell parents that, you know, your baby needs to have a big meal or they must be hungry is whether, you know, and you got to fill them up so they'll sleep well, or, you know, all those things, just, you know, kind of some old myths that actually are very counterproductive to sleep. Um, the REM sleep is um, interesting. Um, and again, you know, just depending on a 50 minute cycle or 90 minute cycle and age and, you know, what's going on there, those are different for different, you know, age groups, but REM is where it, I find it fascinating because it acts like the natural psychologist for ourselves or our children. Mm-hmm. It's where we actually process the day's events that maybe we were too busy to address or contemplate or meditate on or give you know real thought to and addressing how it's impacting our mind our body when we avoid doing that or our children are kept so busy or they're too tired you know we're we're you know they're overtired or, or they just are struggling to manage their emotions and their big feelings and practice those because they're sleep deprived it will work itself out in REM sleep in the resulting uh resulting in nightmares uh, which doesn't happen until mm. about three years old. Um, you know, prior to that, it's night terrors and night terrors are just a direct result of um, bedtimes that are too late, poor sleep hygiene. Mm. So REM sleep is very interesting. It's our built-in free psychologist. Ah. It, will work its, it will work your stuff out. And yeah. so if, we're, if I'm working with an adult or an older child that's got some anxiety and, you know, issues with sleep and just, you know, once we, when we figure out that we don't sleep well, we get really anxious about having to go to bed, you know, uh, and they, (laughs) yeah. And, you know, and so the, the anxiety leading up to something we don't like to have to do, or we don't do well Mm. is always worse than the event itself, but we get so worked up knowing we don't sleep well, or a child is so is, you know, developing anxieties being sleep deprived Mm. and not able to process. And, you know, and also knowing that they don't do this sleep well, it's a perfect storm. And that's where we see those kiddos or adults, struggle with um, nightmares or waking up in the middle of the night and not being able to get back to sleep. It's all very connected. And that's what yeah. these four pillars of sleep hygiene and my toddler and big kid program and my coaching, my private coaching addresses is really getting at the root of things. 
instead of just slapping band-aids on things in the moment just to survive the night or the mm-hmm. moment you know it's it's uh, it's you know soup to nuts yeah yeah well it's funny because like Kimmy and I we're not shy about like our 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 issues of us <laughs> growing up like I was I was like the the bedwetter and Kimmy was the nightmares and night mm-hmm. terrors like that total that was totally both of us growing up and I was, my parents always said, or were told that I was a bedwetter because I was a super deep sleeper. Yeah. And, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and now I'm like, wait a second. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're learning a lot of new, there's a lot of new science coming out right now. Actually, I was just attending a couple of lectures this, uh, this last week that just, you know, mind blowing. It's still a very new science. We used to think that, that, you know, the bedwetters are the ones that sleep really deep. It's actually, we're finding out that that's not the case at all. Um, you'll be surprised to know that vitamin D and exposure to light can have some impact on that. Um, and just, you know, sleep deprivation can mm-hmm. exasperate it, um, mm-hmm. you know, just like, uh, you know, the nightmare situation. And, you know, of course, unprocessed emotions or experiences uh, that children go through as they're learning new things. And it doesn't even necessarily need to be a negative experience. It could just be a new experience. And they're just, you know, for whatever reason, you know, there just isn't time and space you know, maybe in a busy family or, you know, uh, you know, to kind of help them express and work through those things before bedtime. Uh, so, you know, I, when I work with little ones who I'm, you know, who, who are presenting with the bedwetting issues or the nightmare issues, I have some special things I weave into that program that really help to address those things on a daily basis. Hmm. Interesting. Um, Jenny, so going back to the REM sleep, um, have you heard of the podcast that Matt Walker was on Joe Rogan um, and yeah. he wrote the book, Why We Sleep. Yep. Yep. Um, yep. He's, uh, he's, uh, he's, he's dead on in a lot of, in a lot of what he's saying. So yes, I'm familiar. I, yeah. I love that episode, <laughs> yeah. um, but he was saying that REM sleep is kind of like, it cleans your brain. Is, is that correct? Yeah. It acts like a lymphatic system to the brain. There's a special s- sort of a spinal cerebral fluid I forget the technical name for it. Matt Walker lays it out, but you know, if you want to go that deep, but it's it basically in, in uh, it it clears waste and toxins and stress that build up on this vital organ every 24 hours, um, and that's only if we're getting it's actually in that in that slow wave delta uh, sleep that that happens. It, it it's a the brain is not connected to the rest of the body's lymphatic system. Hmm. It is dependent upon hmm. slow wave sleep to do that, um, and it you know it it just clears all those waste toxins and stress that build up on a 24, every 24 hours. And if it's not getting the opportunity to do that, that's where we start seeing mental health issues. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is directly connected to mental health issues, not just with adults, but children too. Again, going back to, you know, there's an explosion in, in anxiety in children these days and just struggle to regulate emotions. I've never like nothing I've ever seen before. Um, You know, and I, and a lot of it, you know, there's, there's so much more that goes into this. Um, you know, again, going back to vitamin D levels, which is actually vitamin D is a hormone and it, you know, and also understanding how the pineal gland works and the super, um, oh, super charismatic. I can't remember the name of it, but you know, that, that part of the brain that really just mm-hmm. really manages the, the, the circadian rhythms, um, light has a big impact on that. The optic nerve tells the, you know, the brain exactly what it needs to be doing when it comes to wakefulness and sleep and, and vitamin D is all connected in that, you know, it's just, there's a lot of things 
Um, and I kind of like to just keep those cookies on the bottom shelf or I lose people, but you know, so, uh, you know, we want the basics. We don't yeah. need to go, you know, you don't need a certification to, you know, you can just get the, you know, get the program and, you know, really dive deep and be able to solve your child's sleep issues as well as the adults in the family. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, Jenny and I also connected because she's also a Portland girl at heart. And so, yeah, if you, let's talk about vitamin D up, up here in the Pacific Northwest or <laughs> lack thereof. That is, yeah, I, um, and I see that a lot with my patients and just the sleep and, you know, even within myself of like when my vitamin D low is low, like I can tell a difference. I've had multiple patients recently be like, yeah, we're kind of feeling that like seasonal, you know, affective disorder around here lately because weather in Portland has been nuts lately. It snowed in April, you guys, um, which mm -hmm. is not, not Portland rain. Okay. But snow. Um, so I think just that vitamin D conversation is so, so interesting. It really is. And the latest discoveries on how, how vital that is for our overall health and immune system and our or, you know, function with sleep, it directly impacts sleep and vitamin. Yes. And I, I, you know, grew up in Portland my whole life and, you know, I didn't have an umbrella until I moved to California and got weak. That's right. You know, That's so right. we're hardcore up here, you know? And so, uh, but, uh, we, yeah, uh, you know, when, it, when those Northern regions, you know, the Southern regions of the United States and, and of the, you know, of the world, they, you know, kind of the, you know, California and, you know, Arizona and Nevada, they're really lucky. They, they don't really have vitamin D issues like we do, but they get a, enough of it and it's, you know, strong enough UVB year round that, you know, unfortunately though, I, and I see it all the time is 93, you know, percent of our lives, even in the Southern part of the, of the country are spent indoors. Exactly. And so I still have to, you know, I have to, you wouldn't believe how much harder it is to get somebody from LA to get themselves and their children outside than it is from, you know, some of my clients in Norway or Sweden or the UK or yeah. Canada, you know, um, <laughs> they're like, sure, no problem. Dead of winter. I got this, you know, it's yeah. just a, you know, they get it. Um, it's interesting too. I, I actually, uh, you know, did some digging into what, uh, you know, back in, it was back in the early eighties, um, saw some photos of some Soviet children, uh, standing in front of an infrared light, um, you know, you know, getting the red wavelengths. And it was a part of uh, how they took care of children and made sure that their vitamin D levels didn't drop so low that they started, you know, having, you know, just issues with vital organs and, you know, it increased death rates and all of that. And it was just, you know, you stand around, they were all standing around this light. I think it's going to be posted in my Instagram, uh, Jenny June Sleep um, on Monday. So look for that. The history is there, but what yeah. we can do in our, in these Northern regions is to um, definitely, you know, look for a really good quality vitamin D supplement, make sure it's combined with K2, um, you know, green or leafy greens. Um, one of the things that I do, um, I spend a lot of time in the Northwest now, since most of my work is, is virtual. Um, you know, I take uh, the cod liver oil um, with mm -hmm. a little lemon essence in it. So it's not, it's actually not nasty at all. Um, but I take about three tablespoons of that and I make sure I get about 10,000 10, IUs, um, you know, every day, uh, you know, and, and as best I can, you know, I, you know, there's some measurements, actually, I should probably get to posting those, some of this Your new research. Instagram post. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's really interesting. The yeah. kids have got to be outside, especially little ones. We've got to get them outside rain or shut, you know, it, it doesn't matter if it's a cloudy, rainy day, the UVB from the sun. Um, you know, will still penetrate the skin. 
um, even in the winter, you know, it's not as much, it's very minimal, especially in these northern regions. Um, but uh, even, you know, the Southern California, you know, uh, families I work with, it, on a cloudy winter day, still get them outdoors, even if you're undercover, because UVB actually bounces off of the grass and the concrete and will still penetrate the skin. So cool. um, and even if there's just a little bit exposure, you know, if you're covered up head to toe in snow gear, you're still getting it. And, um, mm -hmm. and that's just absolutely critical to sleep and overall immune and, and, you know, mental and physical health for children and adults. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we cool. had, um, we had Dr. Wang Chu. He's a dentist in Singapore. Who's like really big on sleep. And he was talking to our, our listeners about how early morning and late evening, like when the sun is either rising or setting is the best time for infrared. And that infrared actually helps to stimulate your hormones and your sleep hormones and the pineal gland. Mm -hmm. Correct. And in fact, uh, most people don't realize that your morning routine is just as impactful for night sleep as your bedtime routine. And it is, you know, our circadian rhythms are dictated entirely by the rising and setting of the sun and the way the earth rotates on its axis. It has nothing to do, uh, you know, with, you know, all these other sort of fads and gimmicks out there. And, you know, infrared light exposure is key. Um, one thing we have to be aware of too, is that, you know, there, a lot of people think that if they have a red light bulb or a red colored light or an amber colored light, that that's going to, um, do the job that it's going to improve sleep. And it has nothing to do with the red color mm -hmm. of the light bulb. It has everything to do with the wavelengths, mm -hmm. the infrared component. And that's why, you know, when I'm working with a child or an adult, um, you know, I, you can, yeah, you can use the blue blockers, sunglasses and things, but it doesn't really, uh, bottom line, it's not going to impact what the blue light behind these screen devices does um, mm. that, you know, eliminates the pixels in our screen devices. It's not going to have that big of an impact. LED light um, is, is the worst thing for melatonin. And it's in every artificial okay. lighting source out there, unless mm. you're, you know, getting these specialty lights and infrared lights and things and exposing yourself to that in the morning and in the evening, mm. um, you know, and, and using that as your source of light. When in a pinch, I like to use candlelight. Candlelight has a natural infrared wavelength uh, component that supports and helps to kickstart melatonin and serotonin. So candlelit baths at night are a great time, a great way to kind of, um, you know, help to, to get those juices flowing and, and prepare yeah. for sleep. Yeah, but also turning off our screen devices, all of them for our children and ourselves, uh, ideally 90 minutes before sleep, you know, but if you can even just get an hour of, you know, just being free, you know, uh, from, from light exposure of any kind, LED, blue light from screen devices, and, uh, you know, give that to yourselves or your children an hour, and an hour before sleep, ideally an hour and a half, you're going to see a massive improvement because it won't sabotage melatonin production. Such a good tip. I know you've given, you've been giving us like all the best nuggets. Like I hope everybody's been able to take some stuff away and, you know, and if you haven't been able to, that's where you can do an even deeper dive with Jenny too. So, um, yeah, yeah, loving it, loving <laughs> it. <laughs> um, so Jenny, my question for you is what there's like a controversy I've been seeing online about letting the baby stay in the room and cry it out and learn to self-soothe versus the, you know, um, not letting them cry it out because they think that there's some negative consequences to the nervous system. 
I literally know nothing about this. Can you explain this to us? <laughs> yes, yes. I'm glad you brought it up. You know, there's so many misconceptions about sleep training. I, you know, I get calls a bunch, you know, I have a section of my morning that I devote to 15 minute free um, initial consultations. Whoever wants to, you know, schedule one of those on, you know, uh, in your audience is welcome to do that. But I get every day, at least two or three, um, you know, sometimes more people who assume that sleep training means cried out. Um, and, you know, they have this kind of, you know, assumption that that's how it gets done. And that's not the case at all. Um, you know, all methods out there, um, you know, are going to involve some temporary struggle as we're learning a new skill or adapting to a new routine. Just it, like any other gross motor skill where a child's learning to roll over or sit up or, you know, stand and starting to walk. Um, you know, there's always that kind of temporary struggle process where you're a little wobbly and sometimes you fall over and, you know, and it's frustrating and they, they cry and they're just like trying to do this and they get back up and they try and master it. There's a big difference um, between tiers of temporary struggle while learning a new skill or adapting to a new routine versus tiers of actual suffering, which mm -hmm. we would immediately respond to, right? But back to sleep training and cry it out. Um, there's many ways to accomplish uh, helping your children learn independent sleep skills and consolidate their sleep at night. It doesn't involve crying, doesn't necessarily need to involve leaving the room and letting them cry on their own. Um, I work with all methods and I let my parents choose. Um, and really the biggest difference between all these different methods is how much parental involvement parents want to have during that temporary struggle process. And if a parent doesn't feel good about what they're doing, you know, if they're thinking that they're, they're gonna be forced into using cry it out and they, they don't feel good about it, they're not gonna be able to be consistent for their child. And that child needs, when they're learning a new skill, especially, and especially when they're sleep deprived and it's, you know, they're just kind of going into this, you know, just kind of not sure why they feel so miserable, you know, and just really dependent upon us to help them relieve this, this stress from the sleep deprivation. Um, we, they just really require that we set them up for success in every way possible, physically, hormonally, and emotionally. And then we take the step back you know, to the degree that we're comfortable with. Because if, again, if we're not comfortable with what we're doing, we're not gonna be consistent for that child. And they just need a simple, clear, consistent message from their loving, securely attached parent or caregiver. Um, that foundation of secure attachment is critical to, you know, that's why we don't wanna sleep train newborns or any child under four months old. First of all, they don't have the, you know, the, they're, they're not developed enough. Their circadian rhythms haven't come into full development to be able to do what we're asking them to do. Um, and just because we can force them to do it doesn't mean we should. So there's people out there who think that you can, you know, or, you know, offer sleep training stuff for newborns. I don't go there. Uh, but that foundation of secure attachment is a foundation of trust from which we can then effectively teach in the next stage of development, in that second stage of infancy, um, when their circadian rhythms are fully developed and they can actually do what we're asking them to do. And they need us to evolve our care routines to meet and match these evolving developing needs for sleep. But there's a variety of different ways to do this. I have very high level parental involvement strategies and you know, moderate level parental she strategies. <laughs> yep. And then I have some, you know, I'm many parents that are like, you know what, I'm so sleep deprived. I have postpartum depression. I can't barely, you know, remember my own name. Um, you know, there's certain things that present age, uh, temperament, past failed sleep training attempts in the background, level of support that parents have. I work with a lot of single parents um, and, you know, the straightforward approaches feel like a better match for them. And, you know, and I let my parents choose because nobody knows your child better than you do. 
and temperament can play a big role and also the kind of support you have and just your, your personal conditions. And, but when parents choose and they have a variety of options to choose from um, and they know in advance what they can expect in the way of, you know, I let them know, you know, and I don't sugarcoat anything, what you can expect in she the doesn't. way of pushback. <laughs> yeah, I, I get down to it because, you know, in case your kid, you know, your kid could be the one that ruins my career, right? right. So I got to, I, I Mine need to know never. what you're getting. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean sleep training does not equate to cry it out. It does not mm. need to be that unless a parent chooses and feels that that's the best match for their unique child and their unique family. And in proper context, a lot of people, you know, the narrative out there, you know, this is a parent culture that believes, we've been conditioned to believe that all tears are toxic stress. And God forbid, we're not making our kids Disneyland happy all the time. We're gonna, you know, destroy attachment, uh, melt their brain cells or end up visiting them in a state penitentiary by the age of 12. God forbid they should cry, you know? So we, we're afraid to teach our kids anything at all. Change yeah. habits. We try to keep them in a swaddle till they're eight months old or, you know, all those things, or, you know, we yeah. just kind of, we're terrified of that temporary struggle thinking, you know, that that's going to be a toxic stress situation. And there's a big difference between positive stress, tolerable stress, and toxic stress, according to Harvard's Center for the Developing Child. Um, there's great research that breaks all that down. I think it's Harvard. Uh, well, the, the link is on my sleep science page on my website, and they really do a great job of breaking that, mm -hmm. those different categories down and providing proper context for each of those types of stress. And interestingly enough, they state that if a child is not getting, a baby child is not getting enough of positive stress opportunities, which they do include sleep training and some degree of even cry it out. Um, that it's just, you know, is, de is detrimental to their physical and mental health as it is if you let a child experience toxic stress. Interesting, so given, given all the, the crazy narratives out there. Mm -hmm. It's so true. Oh, oh, that was like such a, such a good nugget to it. And, and like, also like such a good encouragement to me for Monday, because like, I have to remember that positive stress piece. Cause I'm totally the mom who like wants Izzy to be like Disneyland happy all the time. And <laughs> dad's a little more firm than mom. And <laughs> I like to think it's cause I'm tender hearted and not a sucker, but you know, <laughs> yeah. And you know that, <laughs> that feminine energy nurturing response oh. is critical for babies and children. And, you know, not always gender specific, you know, sometimes the, the, you know, the male partner that the dad will come into it with that kind of, you know, kind of take the step forward, rescue, do the work for them, make them happy energy. Um, and the mom will be the, you know, the one that's like, you know what, we got boundaries we need to put up in here, you know, kind of thing. And, you know, and, uh, and, you know, it's just interesting, but those dynamics, children both need, they need both yeah. of those. And uh, there's no, you know, both are equally as nurturing, you know, that uh, feminine energy nurturing responses that you typically, you know, moms tend to have that, uh, you know, that take the step forward, you know, rescue the child, make them happy, you know, meet their need right there in the moment, always on demand. Um, some, and the other parent or partner is, you know, the one that has what I sometimes call a masculine energy nurturing response. Again, not gender specific in any way, but mm -hmm. it's the, the nurturing response that means we set a child up for success and then we take the step back so that the child can take the step forward and discover what they're capable of doing and that they can do it better and faster than you can do it for them. That's something that builds uh, what's called self-efficacy. And self-efficacy is the foundation of self-esteem. And at this two, three, four-year-old stage, that's when we really need to start allowing those uh, more masculine energy nurturing response opportunities to balance out 
and bring some yin and yang to our to what was primarily prior to that that sort of feminine energy nurturing response, taking that step toward the child. And uh, balance is key. When we've got the pendulum swinging too far on one side of an issue or another, we're gonna be out of balance. And so everything's about bringing it to the center and really finding balance and the value in both of those nurturing styles. Yeah, it's so cool. Man, I know we could probably keep talking about this all day long. And like you and I, when we were together, totally did. Um, <laughs> but I I think the other value is honestly spending time with you and really getting, like diving in. I know you have that opportunity on your website. You also have some self-paced sleep programs as well. The big kid, the toddler and big kids sleep from two to five and then your independent um, sleep, co- you know, coaching as well for adults. So I really want to encourage our listeners like to, to check it out, get, get even more into it. Your Instagram, the Jenny June sleep also has a lot of great information, but just even getting some time with you was so eye opening for me, even when the lens of knowing what I know, I just, you know, was able to learn so much too. So, uh, now they, our listeners can find you jennyjunesleep.com. Is that right? It's uh, for my website and to access the course and also to schedule a free 15 minute initial consultation or discovery call with me. That's yeah. on my website. And that website is just jennyjune.com. And oh, Jenny, Jenny is spelled June. with an I. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, my Instagram is Jenny June Sleep. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So um, and we'll, of course, post this to all of our, you know, all of our social sites as well. So, you know, she won't be a secret to you guys. So, um, well, it was so great to have you, Jenny. Um, and, you know, I'm excited to, you know, be talking with you in the next few days too. But uh, we have just been, you know, so grateful um, to pick your brain and, you know, sh- get some nuggets and share some of your secrets with us. Yes, thank, thank you, you so, so much, much for being on. Yeah. All right, you guys. Well, of course, you can catch us. Uh, myself at Northwest Myofunctional Therapy, NWFT, um, Kimmy at Mouth Muscle Memory, and then Jenny at Jenny June Sleep. And we'll see you guys soon. Thank you.